as adult learners, they want to see that this is applicable to what they're doing every day. And that with the scenario-based program, that is one of the number one comments that we get is I used this almost the day I learned it. And as the learners are facing these scenarios, they also have to understand how to work with different generations, different individuals from different diverse backgrounds. So they're in a team environment as well in the MBA program, really learning through facing challenge and becoming creative problem solvers. Welcome to Forward with NACI, Inspiring Entrepreneurial Action, a podcast that shares the stories of everyday entrepreneurs, entrepreneurial leaders, and the communities that support us. We hope that this diverse collection of stories brings you inspiration, inspires you to take action, and ignites entrepreneurship in your community as we make our way forward together. Welcome to this episode of Forward with NACI. We are so happy to be in 750 American cities and 50 countries around the world. We share stories of entrepreneurs everywhere that are supported by educational institutions like SNHU, uh, Southern New Hampshire University. And I'm delighted to have two people here who are doing really groundbreaking work and are going to share with us uh, some content that they shared via an article that was published recently. And we're going to expose you to what makes online learning so effective. They've been doing it for a long time. So welcome to Dr. Claire Greenlaw and to Dr. Kim Blanchett. Thank you for being with us today. How are you both doing today? Doing wonderful. Thank you so much for having us. Wonderful. Thank you. Great. It's great to see you both. And I think I'll start with you, if I may call you Claire. And just to get us kicked off, I'd love for you to share with our audience um, a little bit about uh, your current background background in higher ed, and then we'll we'll go to Kim. I got into education uh, very early in life, working with young people, mostly high school age in, in various outside activities. But my career was not to be an educator when it first intended. It was in science and STEM and the business side of STEM. And the more I went back to uh, school to get my MBA, uh, the more I realized that I really enjoyed business education. and some of the special teachers that I had during that process, which was at SNHU, actually, there were several individuals that kept coaching me to say, when you're done, you're going to want to go teach. That's all we can tell you is when you're done, you'll go teach. And I said, no, no, I need to go. You know, I have companies and I'm interested in running them. Before I knew it, it was getting to be that that hankering to work with people again and to learn and really to keep that growth mindset where you're always learning and always trying to understand what's changing and evolving in the world. And that's where I went back to, you know, to school and then became um, a faculty member, worked, worked through that uh, faculty lead, and then an associate dean at the university, working in a variety of programs, starting with international business and then culminating with the MBA and the business administration programs at the undergrad level. Well, it sounds like you're exactly where you need to be. And I was delighted to hear um, your enrollments are, are growing and, and your program is really well recognized around the country. So we're going to get into that. But before we do, uh, let's hear from you, Dr. Kim Blanchett. Tell us a little bit about your background and maybe some of the influences that got you into the position that you are in now. Yeah, happy to. And today is actually a wonderful day. It's my 11th year anniversary with Southern New Hampshire University. Oh, happy anniversary. <laughs> Thank you very much. It's 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 a wonderful university and we and I've had a, a great experience. 
you know, I've always found myself even prior to getting into higher education in a position of really enjoying helping others in terms of educating them or training them. So for me, being um, a lifelong learner, just a natural educator, and it's been about 27 years that I've been in higher education now. A lot of my experience has been in private institutions, small and large, in continuing education at, at the forefront. And that really provided me a wonderful opportunity to gain experiences, if you will, in all the, all the aspects of higher education, the business side, the academic side, et cetera. So I've had a wonderful journey and always so very fortunate to work for wonderful leaders um, and gain experience. One particular uh, president stands out for me as I had an opportunity to work at a small private institution. The president at the time took me under his wing because his background was continuing education as mine was, had a really great opportunity to uh, get progressive roles in higher education, really overseeing a number of different functions and learning from him at a very high level, which was very fortunate and prepared me very well to step into Southern New Hampshire University and help grow their online programs over the past 11 years. Yeah, and you, that's that's excellent and, and how fortunate for you to be mentored by someone. And I, I suspect that you both serve that role for other professionals in sharing that knowledge and, and keeping the talent pipeline humming. And it occurs to me, and people who are listening may not be aware of this, but your university was one of the early adopters into online. You know, perhaps Claire, you could give us a little bit of the history on that. You know, how did that come to be? And what kind of um, decisions, I guess, were made or did you have to make investments in different, you know, learning platforms? Uh, because I think all of us, whether we're a student or a parent or whatever, are now familiar with online learning. But, you know, 10, 11, 15 years ago, that wasn't the case. Well, it, it's interesting that you ask because I remember when I was teaching on campus, a capstone course in the MBA, and I was approached by a fellow colleague, and he said, how would you like to teach online? That was almost over 10 years ago. And, and to be quite frank, it was the wild west of online education back then. Mm -hmm. You got an empty, quote unquote, shell, and you filled it with your course. And I've evolved with the university over the years where we've learned to make adaptions to make learning at scale still individualized. Mm -hmm. And that's the real challenge is... You would think it would be more individualized if you had 30 professors teaching 30 sections of your course in their own way. And what it turns out to do is you cannot scale that. You cannot be effective. You can't maintain accreditation. There's just all these issues that come with that. And so we've been through several generations of growth where we have learned to disaggregate some of the role of the professor, so to speak. And that re-engineering learning is partially re-engineering the role of the professor to the point now where we have subject matter experts that are actively practicing in the world today that are able to undergo um, training. A lot of them have PhDs and, and love to teach, but they, they still are in, in industry. And so they join us. Uh, we have a, a very nice introduction program for them. There's a lot of ongoing training to help them understand the pedagogy of the school and how we approach today's adult learners. And then by disaggregating it, we have a whole team to participate with us and learn from. You, you mentioned, you know, how do we influence each other and in getting to the positions we're at? A lot of it was by shared knowledge. We have learning design 
people. We have technology and academic technology departments. We have groups that are looking for innovation. And, and together, they come together each time it's ready to build a new course. And then with outside experts coming in, internal experts that work within the school and its, its own understanding of the programs that the course will fit in, we've been able to come to a system where we can fairly rapidly develop an extensive course and then still distribute it within an environment where professors or instructors are able to take it and make it their own. And yet we can ensure a consistent experience and success for almost all of the students that, that want to learn. Wow, that's a, an, a great way. And I can see <laughs> you are a business in addition to being an academic, um, you know, that whole emphasis on scale. And, and that's really where I think a lot of institutions struggle. And I know even with NACI, we have, you know, 350 community colleges and a growing number of universities that belong. And they're always looking for how to adapt to change and how to do it well, because it's messy in the beginning. And I know going to you, Kim, for a minute, the two of you um, authored a, an article recently that was really focused on entrepreneurial mindset. And I'd love to turn our conversation, maybe you can start, and then uh, we will go back to Dr. Greenlaw in a second. But tell us a little bit about the article that you wrote, the reason that you wrote it, and kind of uh, we can talk a little bit about how people who are listening might apply some of that to their own lives and the work that they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. It was a great article just focused on entrepreneurial skills. We are very intentional about developing business programs um, that really prepare students to be effective, um, socially conscious leaders in today's world. Our MBA program was redeveloped um, about two years ago, and it really centered on not only entrepreneurial skill sets, but skill sets that help leaders in today's fourth industrial revolution, right? So when we think of that revolution, it's exponential growth in technology. It's not a linear pace. And it's really the fusing of technologies in the technological the physical, the digital, and the biological spheres. So entrepreneurial skill sets were very important, especially for our MBA program redevelopment, because we designed that program in a scenario-based design. And Claire was part of the team that was very instrumental in thinking through the skills, the competencies, the dispositions that employers are looking for today, and potentially you know, future things we're not even thinking about. That set of skill sets in looking at the job opportunities today, what's anticipated for tomorrow, what employers are seeking in terms of educational requirements. All of that was part of the research and discovery that we did that informed us of certain skills that our MBA program would need to help learners master. And the entrepreneurial skill set group, if you will, category was very, very important and key to establishing learners to be successful in the scenario-based design. Yeah, I love that. And as we mentioned a, a few minutes ago, um, the results speak for themselves. Your numbers are climbing. Tell us a little bit, Claire, about those who enter into an online MBA program. You know, are they are they working professionals? Are they are they you know younger people who've graduated from maybe a bachelor's degree program? Maybe give us a kind of a flavor of of who chooses to enroll in the program and what their goals are. Sure. One of the things we did when we developed the new MBA, for instance, was to develop a series of personas in a marketing term for the types of people that were in the program or that would our program would appeal to. And we actually came up with about nine. And that, that 
really what we serve is, is an adult learner, someone who's got an obviously an undergraduate degree, often not in business though. So they've they've worked their way into say a manager of a fine arts museum. Their degree is in fine arts. They 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 love art. They've been managing it, and suddenly they're in charge of 13 people in a whole wing of a large gallery or a large museum. And they realize they need the business skills to go with their their actual competencies in a field. And we will see those folks come. We have a, a wonderful foundation program where they can join the MBA. And if they're not quite ready yet to take that kind of intensity and course load, that we have specialized classes to get them prepared for that. Um, and there are two what we call foundation level courses that really support the, the foundations of being ready as a core to take on an MBA. And that puts everyone at a fair footing. And it also allows us to spend a little more time with some of those students. The, the scenarios are real world. And that's very important to students. As adult learners, they want to see that this is applicable to what they're doing every day. And that with the scenario-based program, that is one of the number one comments that we get is I used this almost the day I learned it. And it was a real reward because we did take a significant risk in restructuring this MBA around entirely. Every course is mixed competency, scenario-based learning. What that means is you don't have just a, a finance class and then a marketing class, and then your leadership class, very block style, old school learning that we've all grown up in. It's, we'll take one leadership competency, one communication competency, and maybe an analytics competency, and then build that into a course that has a scenario. And the scenario lasts throughout the term, and they'll work on it. And that uncertainty that they face in the scenario is just like the real world. And it's a challenge because students expect you to tell them what's right and wrong. And they want, some of them still want the sage on the stage that will project down the knowledge instead of realizing that when you're in either a team or given a project as an administrator, if we all knew how to do it, we would have done it yesterday. I mean, it's a new (laughs) project. And that uncertainty and the, the shifting environment that the students will face in the next 10 years with the hard skills will just keep shifting on them. They're going to have to be constant learners. But it's not those that will demarcate them in the MBA, for instance. It's the durable human skills, that, that creative thinking, the ability to, to create rational business decisions, data savviness, data storytelling, the ability to communicate with data. All of those things are really becoming highlighted. And we've worked into those scenarios because we we try to tell, we try to educate the students early on that they're becoming robot proof or artificial intelligence proof. Anything that a computer could do for you will eventually do, but they can't function like a human brain in in the human side, in the interactions, in the decision-making, and in the creativity. And and that's part of business decision-making that the scenarios really bring out because in many cases, Rebecca, there's no one right answer. And that is actually fun to teach because it forces each instructor to go to the student and figure out where their existing knowledge is, what the competencies are and where the, the instructor needs to get them. But then the student has an open pathway. And they have to work together in a mentorship relationship versus just a top-down teaching relationship to get to a suitable finishing point that would be normally acceptable in the business world, but may be unlike any other student in the class. And that's the neat part of the MBA for us. You know, I was thinking while you're while you're speaking how 
valuable something like that would be in a education doctoral program, you know, because one of the things I went through a doctoral program as a, as an adult in innovation and organizational leadership, but there was not a business component to the class. And I remember talking to my advisor and my background was uh, different. It was, you know, education um, and other things, but they said, well, if you want to learn about finance, you're going to have to go and take a class over in the business school. So it was this rigmarole. And I remember thinking, well, how valuable might it be? And I know some of our college presidents do this in community colleges. They actually have a doctorate, then they go back and they earn an MBA because they, you know, they're leaning into things that they have had probably no experience if they've lived on the academic side of the institution all of a sudden your your funding goes away and you have to start to look at what are your assets within your institution? How can you create revenue? And it also occurs to me the way I'm hearing the two of you speak about, you know, these competencies and the personas that you looked at, the customer discovery. I mean, you really followed, I think, not only entrepreneurial mindset, but really sort of a, a design thinking approach where you're you're really leaning in with empathy and the human component. So perhaps Kim, you could talk a little bit more about these competencies. And I think you both had mentioned at one point about preparing people for the future uh, that doesn't exist yet. How would you say some of these competencies um, from your perspective would really be kind of enriched? A person would would get enrichment and experience through through your programming. Yeah, absolutely. We try to immerse the learner in a scenario, taking on a role so that they have the experience of looking at all of the different business functions and how they interrelate, how a wicked problem or a particular scenario is presenting financial challenges, people challenges, operational challenges. There's a lot of skill sets that get distilled from competencies or outcomes. So traditionally, we know of learning outcomes and the MBA program as a whole has those those programmatic learning outcomes. We then look at different competencies at the course level and also break that down to certain key skill sets, dispositions, and abilities. And as the learners are facing these scenarios, they also have to understand how to work with different generations, different individuals from different diverse backgrounds. So they're in a team environment as well in the MBA program, really learning through facing challenge and becoming creative problem solvers. So of course, business acumen in an MBA program is, is, is first and foremost very important. So they do get exposure to all of the different business functions at an MBA level, but learn in an integrated and synthesized manner in terms of le- looking at what leadership is, what is resourcefulness, adaptability, what does it mean to be flexible as a leader today, to be digitally minded, to be a creative problem solver, a host of more technical skills, as well as Claire referenced the human-centered skills, and a blend of that in terms of being able to really address not only the business side, the you know people profit planet, but also how critically important it is to deal with people, to lead people, to mentor people. And that people side is, is absolutely instrumental and critical to an organization's success. So when you look at the technology and how fast that is changing, the digital skill set, 
that is an ever-evolving area that we have to keep a close eye on and ensure that our students are put in scenarios and situations where they're exposed to be looking at how things are changing exponentially, what that means to an organization, to an industry, to them as individual leaders or contributors within an organization. So we really do look to employers to help us identify certain skill sets for particular functions within an organization. And then we take that and say, as an MBA program, as an MBA candidate, what do we want to really help students master in order to really face the future and the challenges of the future? That is so well said. And our time has gone by so quickly, but I've learned so much from all of you. And I, I'm sure the people who are listening um, to this uh, podcast might wonder, you know, how do they find out more? If you could share, uh, Claire, maybe uh, how do they find out more about your university and, and some of the programming or how do they um, potentially get plugged in to, to um, learn and experience what you all are, are sharing with us? They can certainly first go to the website at snhu.edu. That's, that's the, the sort of our home ground. Uh, when if they're a learner, then there's a wonderful advising team, for instance, that's just dedicated to the MBA that will help bring them in, decide if it's right for them. And with our learners, we understand that they are school can be a third priority, work, family, then school. And so they'll help them work out a good pacing and, and a proper curriculum pathway that will help because that's part of success as an adult learner is, is time management and 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 priority management. So they can do that. They can also reach out to either Dr. Blanchett or, or myself if they're from an institution or looking to create connection. And we'd be more than happy to talk to them as well. That's wonderful. Well, we encourage people to do that. And I thank you so much for sharing your stories and maybe getting people who are listening out there thinking about it. If you've been doing a job for a long time and maybe you want to do something different, or maybe you want to advance in your career, that the online option, um, particularly as uh, Dr. Greenlaw was uh, sharing with me earlier, there is a, a faculty member in every classroom. So it's not just you're, you're going onto a computer screen, staring at it. You're, you really have that opportunity to make connections and, and kind of build a life, you know, a new career potentially, uh, regardless of what stage that you're in. So I wish everybody a wonderful day. And I, I thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that you will continue to explore the many ways to define entrepreneurship with NACI as we celebrate opportunity, failing forward, and success, learning from one another along the way. Subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform and follow at NACI on social media and learn more about us at NACI.com forward slash podcast. Stay tuned for a new episode each week. We look forward to making our way forward together with you. Have you heard the exciting news? NACI recently released a new publication titled The NACI Playbook, Volume 1, all about how entrepreneurial mindset sets the new standard for success in communities and colleges. The NACI Playbook digs into entrepreneurial mindset and how practicing leadership with this framework creates an agile culture with space to innovate, co-create, fail forward, and accelerate growth. Entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial leadership require us to lean in 
anticipate and recognize trends, manage change, be resilient, take risks, reflect, and rest in the knowledge that anything is possible. Learn from our innovative, insightful, generous network who navigates both challenges and opportunities entrepreneurially as we share what we've learned and how you might apply their experience to your work. We hope you'll be as inspired as we were. Learn more at www.nacyplaybook.com.